0: The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. the Lord everybody and I'd like to begin tonight with prayer as we go into the Word of God Lord we love you we thank you for who you are and I ask you Lord to touch this Bible study as we embark on this journey Lord a journey through your book the book that is written by you the one that you declared you are the Word The word from the beginning, the word that was made flesh, Lord. And we want to find you within your word. I pray that you illuminate the understanding of myself and anyone who is watching this with the Holy Spirit, Lord. That we might understand the word of God. Thy word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I worship you, I bless you, and we do this in your honor and for your glory and to magnify you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, tonight is the first night and the first uh, lesson in thy word through the Bible course. So we are embarking on quite a journey, and I'm glad that so many have decided that they would come and avail themselves of this. We're going to have a good time. I tell you, I like to have good, a good time. And one thing about the Word of God is you learn to love it. I mean, it becomes an addiction. And I know when people say, well, there's a Bible class that is going to go all the way from Genesis to Revelation. people all, A lot of the time, something comes to our mind that, wow, that's going to be really boring. Or it's going to be some kind of professor who you know, is, is covered in dust and all he does is read books. But the reality is that God's word is alive. God's word is on fire. And once you begin to see his word and take it from a former atheist. Once you begin to see in his word that the one who wrote the Bible. Knew the end of the book at the beginning of the book. Once you begin to see that the one who wrote the scripture using all different men, all different kinds of men from all stations in, in, in life with different education uh, levels, wrote a book that is perfectly cohesive and is really all one story. Amen. And today we begin that journey. We begin our journey through the Bible. And our first lesson tonight is on the fundamentals. Of the Bible, our next lesson will start in Genesis, and uh, it'll be Genesis chapter one. So I urge you this week to read the book of Genesis chapter one and chapter two in preparation for next week's Bible study. And uh, I'm excited about the prospect of learning the Word of God with you. And I say that because yes, I am facilitating this study, but. Every time I open my Bible to renew my memory of what I'm about to teach, I learn something new. Because the Bible is alive. And I actually believe that you will never in this life ever come to a full understanding of his word. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say that in the next life, I believe that when we're in our new and glorified bodies and we have this entire Bible memorized... We will still continue to learn from the word of God all that Jesus Christ did for us while we were here. There is no end to him. And because there's no end to him, he's eternal. There is no end to his word. Someone say amen. Amen. There is no end to this word. It keeps going on. And you can read the Bible a hundred times. And on the 101st time, you will find something that makes you want to jump up and shout. Amen. Brother Campos, the other day, he came up and he asked me a question about the book of Acts and how long they were in the upper room. And so I had to do a little bit of math, looking at the day of Pentecost, looking at the feast of unleavened bread. And all of a sudden, a number came to my mind and made me, wanted to, made me want to jump and shout because I'd never seen it before until he asked me the question. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to the book of Acts. Amen. But, Let me just say that you will always, always find something new in the scripture. And so I am learning the word of God with you and facilitating this lesson. But I'm not going to say that I'm teaching it. We're learning it together. Amen. And as we go through it, we're going to see things we have never seen before. And it is exciting to me. The Bible is one of the great secrets to power with God. And Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my word abide in you, ye shall ask whatsoever you will, and it shall be done unto you. John 15, 7. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? But continue thou in the things thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith. Which is in Jesus Christ. And then he says this. All. I like that word. It means everything. All of it. Nothing left out. All. Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed. It's inspire, not expire. It came into the man who was writing the book. Amen. And it all came from him. And I'm here to tell you that God does not waste his time or yours. You are talking about a genius who, when I call him a genius, is a great insult to his intelligence. (laughs) All intelligence came from him. And I'm going to show you in the Bible, wait till we get to the book of Genesis, we're going to have fun. I am going to show you that God not only did not waste a story, or a chapter, or a word, He doesn't even waste a letter. Everything is there for a purpose. Hebrews 4.12 reads, For the word of God is quick, that means it's alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. If I were to ask you what's the difference between soul and spirit and where do you find the divide, we couldn't do it with a microscope. But the word of God is so sharp that it can divide asunder soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know how sometimes we think we're right. Sometimes we think our intentions are right. Sometimes the word of God will show us what our intentions really are. And we find ourselves repenting and going to God and saying, Lord, may I be more like you and more like your word. While reading our Bibles, we hold in our hands the most profoundly important possession one could ever own. People have died for that word. People are still dying for that word. We hold not just a book, but we hold the book. The book, though written by men, was authored by God. Every word fitly chosen, every story, every utterance, every jot, and every tittle ordained and inspired by the almighty God himself. And though not a novel, it is a literary masterpiece, People have given their life to Jesus just by reading the book of Jonah in the original Hebrew. Saying that no man could have ever written like this. And we're talking great minds who, you know, can read and understand Hebrew and who are linguists and who are experts in their field. When they've read the book of Jonah and they realized how beautiful the Hebrew is, no man could have written it. The, in fact, I'm going to go off my notes here, but let me tell you something. You want to know the most astounding paragraph found in the Bible. It is a genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ found in Matthew chapter one. When we get to that, that will absolutely blow your mind. It is a paragraph that no one in this room could ever match if they ever sat down to write in the number of sevens that are displayed in the original Greek of that paragraph. In fact, statisticians have said if a million geniuses with a million supercomputers had a million years, they could not write that paragraph the way that it is written with the amount of sevens that you found in the original Greek. And yet a young man by the name of Levi, who is just a tax collector, did it. And he did it with a pen. Amen. The Bible is an amazing, amazing, amazing work of art. And though it is useful for practical living, it is also a work of art. It was written so even the simple among us can understand it. Someone say thank God. Amen. Amen. While at the same time, the greatest minds the world has ever known could never measure its depths or unveil all of its wondrous secrets. You'll never get to the end of it. Though printed on pages made from trees now dead and bound in lifeless leather, the words it records are alive and powerful, able to manifest life where there was no life. How did we all get here? How did the universe get here? And God said. He spoke into darkness and life. And light became by his word. Amen. And that's what we literally have bound in this book, his word. And not only to give life where there was no life, but to give life for all eternity. When he spoke into your life, you were in darkness and you were dead. And he brought you back to life. And not life that's going to end, but life for all eternity by his word. To know the Bible is to know God himself. To love the Bible is to love God. To obey the Bible is to obey God. Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I love this poem, and no one knows who wrote it. You'll find it in the flyleaf of the Gideon New Testament Bible. An unknown writer penned these words. The Bible reveals the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. Oh, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It is the traveler's map. In other words, you don't know where to go, but it will show you exactly the way. Amen. It is the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here too, paradise is restored, heaven is opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. I like this part. The Lord Jesus is its grand subject. Our good is its design. It's not here to judge you and send you to hell. It's here to save you and get you to heaven. Amen. Let it fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure it has given you in life. It will be opened at the judgment and remembered forever. First thing I want to do after I worship God for a million years is I want to memorize the whole Bible with my new mind that God gave me in my new body. Hallelujah. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, labor, and will condemn all who trifle. With its holy contents. Owned it is riches. Studied it is wisdom. Trusted it is salvation. Hallelujah. Lived it is character and obeyed it is power. That is the word of God. Amen. So the word of God. The word Bible is from the Greek word. "biblos." You can count that next week in the following weeks there will be a quiz it's going it's not a quiz as in something in writing but there will be a trivia night and you will win prizes so if i were you when i start saying things like oh i don't know the greek word biblos meaning book you'd probably want to write that down in your notes amen <laughs> and the word testament means covenant or agreement how many people know what the ark of the covenant is right why was it called the ark of the covenant because the word of god was placed inside it it held the covenant between god and israel and it is also called the ark of the testimony okay and the tent that that held the ark was called the tabernacle and it was often called the tent of the testimony Okay, so the word testament means covenant or agreement. And the Old Testament is a covenant God made with people before Jesus. And the New Testament, our covenant, is the covenant God made after Jesus came. To earth. So we have the Old Testament or testimony or covenant, and we have the New Covenant or Testament or testimony. It makes you kind of reconsider what it means when the Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What's it talking about? It's talking about this book. Amen. The blood of the Lamb and the word of God. Praise the Lord. The Bible was written by about 40 authors over a period of approximately 1,500 years. Some of these men never even heard of the others. And there was no collusion among the 40. Two or three of them could have gotten together, but others could not have known each other. And yet they have presented a book that has the most marvelous continuity of any book That has ever been written. When we go through the word of God. I'm going to show you this. You'll think that one writer wrote the whole thing. Because everything. Is perfectly cohesive. Also it is without error. In its original text. And each author expressed his own feelings. In his own generation. Each had his own limitations. And made his mistakes. Moses. Made a lot of mistakes. And Moses was raised by the Egyptians and went to Egyptian schools. And yet nothing that the Egyptians taught found its way into the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. Because God inspired the book through Moses. Uh, It is a very human book. It is written by men from all walks of life. Prince and pauper, the highly uh, uh, intellectual, the very simple Uh, Luke was a physician. Simon Peter was a fisherman. And when you look at the way they wrote in Greek, you can see the difference in the education. And yet, God made His will known. Exactly what He needed through their feelings, their thoughts, even their lives that they lived. God was able to engineer it so that we have the Word of God that we have today. The Holy Spirit used both of these men. Amen. That's the wonder of the book, the Bible. Now, the organization of the Bible, how we organize this book. And I want you to understand, too, that some of the organization that we have and the titles that we give it were given by scholars um, and not necessarily inspired by God. And, and we'll notice that as we go through some of the chapters of the Bible. Uh, sometimes they'll break a place, uh, break a place off at the end of a chapter when it obviously continues on to the next chapter, but we have to organize the Bible in a way that we can understand it. Otherwise, when the preacher's preaching, it'll take us a year for everybody to find that particular place in the book of Hezekiah, chapter four. Right, brother? Amen. So the two, uh, the, the King James version of the Bible contains one thousand. 189 chapters. So if you start reading a chapter a day, you'll have the whole Bible memorized in 1,189 chapters. Easy, right? 31,012 verses, 775,693 words. Now the whole Bible can be read in about 80 hours at the pulpit rate. That's the rate that you've just heard me reading the Scripture. If you were to read the Bible at that rate, it would take you about 80 hours to read. The two largest and most obvious divisions of the Bible are the Old Testament, covenant, testimony, and the New Testament, the covenant, and the testimony. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, And 27 in the New Testament. The Old Testament contains five law books. Five books of the law. Twelve history books. Five books of poetry. And 17 books of prophecy. Now once again, it's men who divided this so that we can understand them better. But if Psalms is not a prophecy book, I don't know what it is. You will know more in the book of Psalms about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ than you ever will in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll actually see it from his perspective through the prophecies of David in the Psalms. But once again, this is how we're going to divide it. The New Testament contains four books called the Gospels. There are four Gospels. One book of history, 21 epistles, and one prophecy book. The last, the first five books of the Old Testament are called the books of the law mainly because they contain the law of Moses, which was given to the people of Israel. And those books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The book of Genesis tells the story of beginnings, for the word Genesis means beginnings The actual word for the book of Genesis in the original Hebrew is Bereshit, which means in the beginning. And that is the name of the book in Hebrew, Bereshit. It records the beginning of the world, of life, mankind, and the beginning of sin. It also explains the beginning of Israel, the nation through whom the solution for sin would emerge the book of Exodus tells of the escape or exit of Israel from Egyptian slavery. The book of Leviticus is named for the tribe of Levi. Interesting. We just talked about a Levi, didn't we? I wonder what tribe he was from. Uh, the book of, uh, so it's, it's the priestly tribe because the book contains the laws of God which pertain to priestly service. The book of Numbers contains a census or numbering. Of the tribes of Israel after their escape, really rescue from Egypt. And the book of Deuteronomy is the account of Moses' final speeches to Israel before his death. In Greek, the word Deuteronomy means second law. And those are the five books of law. Those are also called the Pentateuch. Okay, we all know what a pentagram is. It's a five-pointed star. So a Pentateuch, you would think it's five of something. So it's the five books, the Pentateuch. In the Hebrew, the word is Torah. So when, a, when you, someone from Israel who speaks Hebrew, when they are talking about the Torah, they are talking about the first five books of the law written by Moses. Actually, the, all the other, uh, mo, like the prophets in their particular view are the writings. But the Torah are the first five books of Moses. The next 12 books of the Old Testament are books of history. There are 12 of these. They record the history of Israel beginning with the conquest of the land of Canaan and ending with the return of God's people from foreign captivity. The books of history include Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. It's going to be so fun to go through these books. I'm telling you, I'm going to love it. We're going to love it together. The next division, the books of poetry, includes Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. So the book of Job is a study of human suffering and how we should handle it Actually, I really believe that the the underlaying of the book of Job is can man actually find grace in the sight of a living God? I actually think that is really the basis of the book. Yes, suffering is involved, but that's the question that the book is asking. Can a man find grace in the sight of a living God? Uh, Psalms is a collection of songs which were used in worship to God. Proverbs is a study in wisdom accompanied by a collection of short, wise sayings. You should read a proverb a day. You want to be successful, read a proverb a day. And if it doesn't make sense to you when you first read it, as life goes on, you'll start realizing exactly what it means. It'll make you wise. It is able to make you wise. Amen. The Bible says. Ecclesiastes means the preacher. And it was written by King Solomon. This book is a collection of short, wise sayings. Um, I'm sorry, an essay on the meaning of life and what Solomon concluded were the truly important issues of life written by the most wise man that ever decided to be a fool that the world has ever known. Solomon. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon... Song of Solomon is sort of like an ancient marriage manual, graphically portraying the intimate love between a husband and wife and is symbolic of the love between Christ and his church. It's a beautiful, beautiful book for lovers. My wife reads it to me every night, don't you think? The remaining 17 books of the Bible are books of prophecy. I'm not going to go through all of these. They contain the recorded writings of some of God's prophets. The work of a prophet was to speak on behalf of God. They communicated God's concern when his people drifted away from his covenant. You know, that is really the true duty of a prophet to say, you have drifted from the covenant of God, return again to that covenant. And that is what they do. They foretold impending punishment from God if his people did not repent. And they, used, uh, they, they usually promised an end to the punishment uh, and a reconciliation to God's favor. These are the divisions of the Old Testament books. Now we come to the New Testament. And it is also divided into four major groupings. There are the books of the Gospels. History, the epistles, that's a nice way of saying letter, and prophecy. The first four books of the New Testament called the Gospels are actually biographical treatments of the life of Jesus. They were written by and are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to have a lot of fun when we get there too. It's like I want to go off, but my wife says, don't run down a rabbit hole. But have you ever asked yourself why there are four Gospels? Why didn't he just do the whole story in one? Right? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, should I reveal it? I shouldn't reveal it. Okay, praise the Lord. For the same reason why there are four cherubim. <laughs> Hallelujah, you the throne of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. There is only one book in the history Section. It is the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. uh, So-called because it records the acts or actions of the apostles and the disciples in the early church. It is a wonderful book because we're apostolic. We can read that book and embrace it and love it. And a lot of people, I'll tell you, a lot of people, I I love to listen to Bible teachers. Because I always learn something. Whether I agree with them or not, I always... Uh, I always learn something, but whenever I hit the book of Acts, there's a whole lot of hymn hawing around a lot of verses, a whole lot of dancing around things because they don't want to come right out and say that the Holy Ghost is for us still today, that there's divine healing in his church here today. Amen. And they baptized in the precious name of Jesus, like we still do today. Hallelujah. We don't dance around it. We're going to have a good time with the book of Acts. Amen. The next section of the New Testament books, the epistles, is a collection of letters which were written by inspired leaders of the early church. And some of them are letters to specific churches in Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, and, of course, to the Hebrews. And uh, these letters were written by the Apostle Paul, who who also wrote letters to individual people like Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And some are general letters to the church at charge uh, or at large. The titles of these general letters reflect the names of their authors, James, Peter, John, and Jude. And that brings us to the last division of the New Testament, and that is prophecy. It is called the book of revelation. It is one book and there's one prophecy book in the new Testament that might be, that might win you something next week. So the old Testament covers and, and what it covers. And it's a good thing when you're studying the word of God is to try to think of it. And I was told this, I can't remember who said it, but it really stuck with me as a young man is to pretend that you're assembling a pearl necklace Okay, and you have a string. And you've got these little pearls. And all these little pearls have names on them. So you want to put a pearl on that string. And you want to remember where you put it. This will help you remember the Bible. So the Old Testament covers creation. That's a pearl, right? And then the fall of man. The flood. Babel. Or the Tower of Babel the call of Abraham, Abraham's descendants descent into Egypt, the exodus or the departure or the rescue or the coming out from Egypt, the Passover, the giving of the law, the wilderness wanderings, the conquest of the promised land, the dark ages of the chosen people. So the people of God went through dark ages. By the way, you will find out if you compare Israel and how they base their physical history here on earth. You will find very many similarities between their physical existence. What they went through and what the church has gone through in the spirit. There was a time of dark ages uh, for us. There was a time of wilderness wanderings. Um, uh, The anointing of Saul as king, so it's the time of the kings. The golden age of Israel under David and Solomon, which we call the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom of Israel. And then we have the divided kingdom, Judah and Israel. The captivity in Assyria and Babylon and the final pearl on the Old Testament string is the return from exile. We find the people of God returning back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. The New Testament covers the early life of Christ. You know, it's interesting. This isn't in my notes, but if you think about the time that the Old Testament covers it covers all the way from creation to the exile of the people of Israel out of uh, Babylon, returning them to the Holy Land. But the New Testament only covers one lifespan. One lifespan. John, they say, was right around 17 years old. I don't know where they came up with that number, but we'll take it. He's around seven, he had to be pretty young. When he wrote, when when he first started following Jesus. And he was the last writer of the New Testament. And after he was off the scene, there was no more Bible. So, from the life of Christ to the death of his final apostle is what the New Testament covers. It covers the early life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the church in Jerusalem. The church extending to the Gentiles, thank God, that's why we're all saved here, amen, and the church in all the world. So how do you read your Bible? And ask yourself this, because I see this a lot, Uh, Bible devotion, I wake up every morning and I have my Bible devotion. Well, what is that? Well, it takes me to one scripture. One day and then another scripture the next day. And so I read a scripture a day from different parts of 66 books. Praise God. Well, that is not Bible study. It's not a bad thing. I mean, of course, the word of God is holy and God can touch you with it. But we should read the Bible with at least the same respect that we give to any other book. If you took Gone with the Wind, I don't even know if they allow that in, in, today, but if you t- were to take a book like Gone with the Wind or, or any of these other classics and open them up every morning and just randomly move to a particular place and put your finger on it and, you know, it says, frankly, you know, I, well, we'll see what he says tomorrow. Oh, well, maybe not. No, we're on something else, you know. And we go to the beginning of the book. We go to the middle of the book. We go to the end of the book. How many people can say they actually read Gone with the Wind? You couldn't, could you? You would have to read it from the beginning to the end. And then you can say, I read that novel. So that's how the Bible should be read with at least that much respect and dignity given to it. In fact, very much more. Uh, You don't skip chapters. You don't read sentences out of context. It should be read from cover to cover. Now, there should be some mixing up. And we are going to mix up here. We say from Genesis to Revelation. But I'm going to take you to different places in between. We will start in Genesis and we will go all the way to the book of Ruth, which is a perfect bridge to the book of Matthew. So I will not leave you in the Old Testament to flounder around like the children of Israel for 40 years. I will bring you to Jesus eventually, all right? And then we will return to the Old Testament and then go back to Mark and and, and it'll work that way. All right, so read it diligently, read it frequently. Begin with prayer and ask God to illuminate his word. Let me tell you, the greatest addiction you will ever know, the most wonderful addiction you'll ever know is to the word of God. When you get that revelation and you just want to tell people and it's it's almost ready, it's like fire shut up in your bones. It's it's it wants to come out. The problem is you don't know who to call because then you're not gonna have to say, Well, read, did you ever read Hosea? And did you read Jeremiah? Did, well, not recently. Well, then it's hard for me to share. I'll just share it with God. But it's a beautiful thing when you begin to see what God has for us in the pages of this book. Read it frequently. Read it prayerfully. The Bible contains many very important subjects. It is the bread of life and many people are starving today. It's a strange famine in the land that we have. Because so many are starving for the word of God. But there are three or four Bibles scattered around their home. Right? Have you ever been guilty of that? Let me tell you, as a young man, I just couldn't get the discipline for a long time to start reading my Bible. Um, And there it was, and I'd hear it in church, but to actually sit down and say, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to learn the Word of God. It took me a while before I actually learned to do it. But like I said, the Bible can be read in 80 hours. So if you were to take an hour a day, seven days a week, in 80 days... You will reach the end of the book of Revelation. It's beautiful, isn't it? Praise God. So it contains many important subjects, but as we study the Bible together, I want to focus our thinking. Because we can, and I will, run down rabbit holes. If I ever start running down a rabbit hole, if somebody has to kind of give me a tug on my ear or throw a pin at me, because I will. I'll just start following something all the way through, and I look up, and everybody's kind of like like that, and they don't understand what I'm saying. So the subject that I want to focus on is the one that Jesus said in John 5.39. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And we do, don't we? We do. And they are they which testify of me. Luke 24 Tells the story of two disciples traveling on the road to Emmaus. And uh, they are distraught. They're depressed. They're confused. Because Jesus of Nazareth. Of Nazareth. The one who they had believed to be the Messiah. Had been crucified. And as they walked they were discussing these things with each other. And Jesus drew near to them, the Bible says, and joined in their conversation. God did a trick on them, though. He, he held their eyes. The Bible says their eyes were holding so that they couldn't recognize him. And they began to talk with him, and he began to talk with them. And they told him about this one called Jesus Who they had trusted in. They told about his crucifixion. And they even told him that. There were some rumors among the disciples. That he was risen from the dead. But they didn't know what to think. And you know you can read between the lines. They didn't really believe it. They didn't really believe it. They were doubting him. And in Luke 24 25. Jesus said to them. Oh fools and slow of heart. To believe All that the prophets have spoken. You know we're New Testament Christians. And we spend a lot of time in the New Testament. But these two apostles didn't have a New Testament in their back pocket. There wasn't one. And Jesus said. You're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things. And to enter into his glory and listen to what he says. And beginning at Moses, Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus took the Old Testament from Moses. And all of the prophets. And he taught about himself. Jesus said unequivocally the scriptures testified of him. Old Testament and New Testament together. Christ is its grand theme. And that, let that be our focus. Let us find Jesus within the pages of this glorious book and may Jesus be our focus. So as we go through the Bible, what should be on your mind is while we're studying this. Now, there are other things we can study, of course, and we should do that as we read the word of God over and over again. You might want to think about another particular subject to see how many times that comes up in the word of God. But while we're studying the word of God here together, let's all collectively look for him. Because in the pages of that book, he said it's written of me to do thy will, O God. Praise the Lord. The Word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword The Word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword Piercing to the division of Soul and spirit of joints and marrow Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart I love your